You're listening to the IT Career Energizer podcast, episode 28. Welcome to the IT Career Energizer podcast. For anyone who wants to build and grow a career in IT, develop and improve your strengths and skills, be inspired and motivated by the successes of others, manage your career progression, and achieve your IT career goals. And now, your host, Phil Burgess. Hi there, Phil here, and welcome to the IT Career Energizer podcast, where I chat with inspiring IT professionals, consultants, and experts every week. To find out more about the podcast, visit itcareerenergizer.com. Now let's talk with today's featured guest, Owen Woods. Owen is a professionally qualified technical architect with over 20 years' experience in the capital markets and software product domains. Owen is a regular conference speaker, as well as a published author, which includes being co-author of the book, Software Systems Architecture. So Owen, can I ask you to expand on that very brief introduction? Hello, Phil. Yes, thank you very much for the invitation to be on the podcast. I'm Owen Woods. I work for a company called Indava. I'm their Chief Technology Officer, their CTO. And we are a software engineering services company. So we help people be more agile. We do digital transformation. We help people to do effective automation. And what I do there is that I'm responsible for what it is we bring bring out to sell to our clients, but most importantly, making sure that we can deliver it really well. And I got there by, through most of my career, being a software engineer and then a solution architect, and I've only become a CTO about three years ago. So I spent roughly 10 years developing software products companies you might have heard of like Sybase and companies that are well known in their niche but you won't have heard of like Intertrust. And then I moved into the capital markets domain and I worked notably for Barclays Global Investors and UBS, the big international banking group. And throughout that time, I was a software engineer and then a solutions architect. Wow. So you've got quite a good background in IT. I've certainly been doing it for a long time and so far it's gone well. So yes, I guess so. <laughs> Can you share with us a unique career tip that the IT career energizer audience need to know and probably don't? I can certainly share one that's worked for me. I don't know how unique it is, but it's to make sure that you've got subjects that really, really interest you and you really become a deep expert in. And of course, most engineers have those. But as well as that, always remember to step back and look at the context that your unique skill fits inside. Because I meet a lot of technical specialists who really don't understand the context of their skill. And so they don't really understand the value they bring or indeed how their skill relates to other people's. Right. So when you when you talk about context, do you mean the benefit to the business of what they're doing? It's both the context within the engineering domain. So how does this fit into a bigger solution, a bigger overall puzzle? Why is it useful? And then absolutely, when you apply it, what's the value? And of course, if you're if you're developing operating systems, that's a very different business context to someone who's developing, say, mobile apps for a payments company. But it's understanding the commercial context you sit inside and who, you, who your customer is. Do you feel that's part of the often what's seen as like a head down mentality of people working in IT? It can be. Um, we tend to attract people who are thorough, detail oriented take their work very, very seriously um, and very, very focused on producing the highest quality result they can. But sometimes those that combination of skills actually combines to mean that people can be quite narrow in their outlook unless they're specifically coached to be different. Okay. 
Can you tell us about your worst IT career moment and what you learned from that experience? I was puzzling about this question um, over the last few days, actually, because I think I have been very lucky. I haven't had too many really terrible moments. Um, <laughs> Uh, so I count myself fortunate in that. I think actually the worst moment, it was a fairly short period, was when I joined a particular company. And I, I won't name them because it's unfair, but I joined a particular company for a relatively short time. And I'd had to choose between the company I then eventually joined and this company I worked for for a short time. And I was quite swayed, really, because a very good friend of mine worked there and I quite liked the people. Um, it was only some months in and with a little bit more distance and with a little bit more, maybe a more rational um, mindset, I realized that one, this probably wasn't the right company for me. And two, I'm not entirely, I wasn't entirely convinced actually the company was headed in the right direction either. So I stayed six months and then wrote, wrote, wrote that one off for experience and moved on. Okay. So moving on from your, your worst IT career moment, can you possibly tell us about your IT career highlights and how you were able to achieve that? Um, I think I've had a couple. Um, it would be interesting to ask my co-workers, which they think my career highlight was actually. But um, definitely, I mean, really good things were um, you know, when I was at UBS, um, we did a very large middle office project in the fixed income um, area that went well. Um, I think personally, I made a good impact. I had a lot of positive feedback on the ground and from, from management. And outside my organization, I think completing my book, The Software Systems Architecture, with my co-author, Nick Rosansky, was another real highlight. Yes. So how's the book gone? It's gone very well. We've published two editions. We get quite a lot of questions whether we're going to do a third. And actually, we haven't maybe, we never say never, but we've largely decided that it's the wrong thing to do. We might write another book one day, but we think it, it sort of stands as it, as it is, really. But yes, we, we, we've sold a lot of copies. I'm not sure exactly how many, but it's well over 20,000 now. So uh, in the niche of software architecture books, that's a very big seller. There, there's only one software architecture book we're aware of that we think has sold more. Uh, so yeah, and we know the authors of that one very well. Um, so yeah, we're, we're very pleased with how it was received in both practice, because we wrote it for practitioners, yep. but also how it's been picked up by university teachers who are trying to get the concepts of software architecture over to master's students. I, I do wonder how much there is in terms of leverage of, of what's out there by institutions. I don't know enough to have to comment too much, but it's interesting to know that your book has actually been picked up for that purpose. Yes, uh, because as I say, it, it doesn't come with the normal um, additions that university lecturers expect. We get a, quite a few inquiries every year to, could we just send them the slides? And we go, sorry, we haven't got a university slide set. You'll have to yes. write your own, which, you know, you, you, metaphorically, their faces fall at that point because it's quite a lot of work, of course, to put that together. Yeah. Um, uh, and most books that are written as textbooks these days come with all the supporting materials, which we don't have. But but all all the same, uh, I was at a conference a few weeks ago and I met somebody from uh, South America or Central America. And he just out of the blue said, by the way, I use your book to teach. So that that was a nice moment. Yeah, Absolutely. So what excites you about the future of the IT industry and careers in IT? Um, the thing that excites me is that we're not quite sure where we're going. We can sort of see what's next, but I've now been in the industry about 25 years, which makes me feel quite old to say that. <laughs> Many of the my colleagues at Indava, I'm sure, feel that makes me very, very old indeed. But what interests me really is that when I arrived in the industry, I arrived with this disruptive technology, which has become successful, but which most engineers at the time did not really believe had much commercial applicability. 
and that that disruptive technology was Unix and the C programming language. And from that point, you see where that's now become such a sort of you know obvious staple of everything we do. From there, it was very hard to predict you know even Java. Never mind where we are today with highly distributed systems and serverless computing and cloud. So, given that's only been sort of 20 years of development. Um, it's quite exciting to think what might happen in the next 20 years. And you can see trends, of course, miniaturization, Internet of Things, you can see intelligence and systems, you can see systems that are much more cognitive and interactive. So you can see trends, but quite which one will stick. I think it's a brave person who says they that they, they can really predict anything more than a few years out. Yeah, no, I agree. Is there anything in particular, such as AI or big data, that, that interests you personally? Yes, well, t- three things I think I'm I'm very interested in at the moment. One is certain kinds of artificial intelligence. I mean, it's a very big field, but I do think the area we're in at the moment, where we're using data to train statistical models, so-called you know machine learning and deep learning, um, I, I do think they're very interesting. I don't think I'm ever at this stage in my career going to manage to master the fundamental technology. But what is interesting to me is really the way that it's being packaged up now in libraries with pre-trained data sets that allow us a starting point from which, without understanding all the detail, we can start using it yes. in the same way that, for example, today, you know, distributed systems, there's very few people building them actually understand all of the basic science behind distributed systems because it's been so well packaged up in the libraries and frameworks we use. Second area would be blockchain. I'm still not quite sure what blockchain is going to land. It's very much at the smoke and mirrors misunderstanding stage, which is very interesting for me as a CTO. I get to talk to a lot of clients about it. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I do think that it's 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 interesting enough and has enough interesting characteristics that it will be used for things. I'm just not quite sure what. And the last thing is serverless computing. The transparency and fine-grained nature of that, I think, brings the sort of march from monolithic systems to a logical conclusion. And I think... I really do think that a lot of systems are going to be built using serverless type type technology in the future. And I think that's going to open up quite a lot of interesting possibilities in terms of commercial models around billing and also models around very fast change and also models around different kinds of integration. Yes. It's not really an area I must admit that I know anything about, but it does sound like it's almost going full circle. Yes, it is a bit. It is quite funny, actually, because I've I do give a talk, um, mainly within Idava, but occasionally outside, where I talk about the five phases of computing, from monolithic to serverless. Only occasionally people pick up on the language, but to begin with, I talk about mainframe systems, how yes. they gave you a framework. The whole thing was supplied by a vendor. The only ability you had was to put code in a very well-defined slot. And I go through all the phases describing them. I ended up, and, and I end up with serverless, and I say, this is a very new and exciting, very flexible paradigm, where a single vendor supplies you with a single stack, and all you have to do is take your code and put it in a very well-defined place. And occasionally, somebody's, somebody will put their hand up and go, well, that sounds a bit like a mainframe. And I go, <laughs> yeah. funny you should say that. It sounds awfully like a mainframe, with some obviously rather exciting, excitingly different characteristics. But there are some things that link us straight back to the era of Kix and IMS. Okay. We're going to go into the reveal round now. So you ready for this? <laughs> yes, I'll do my best. <laughs> so what first attracted you to a career in IT? It was home computing. I was one of the ZX Spectrum generation, and I just thought it was fascinating. Yep, I know. I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> um, what is the best career advice you've ever received? 
Uh, my first job as a graduate, I worked for Group Bull, a French computer manufacturer, and I was very lucky to be mentored by my engineering director, a lady called Kim Lambert, who has gone on to have a very distinguished career in technology um, since. I arrived being absolutely determined that I wasn't going to do management, and over two years she patiently convinced me that to achieve anything, you've got to manage yourself and indirectly manage others. And it was a lesson well learned when, when the penny finally dropped. Yep, that's good advice. If you were to begin your career again, what would you do? Really good question. Um, I think today I would be probably thinking about cognitive and IoT-based systems for my yeah. personal interests. And you know, my personal interests when I came out were distributed systems because they were the future. I think now probably cognition and uh, IoT. Uh, but in terms of um, the fundamentals, I'd do what I did, which was I'd learn as much about the theory and figure out what was useful as I could. And in fact, I did a master's degree, which helped me to do that as well. But I'd still do the same thing. I'd, I'd try and figure out the fundamentals and not worry too much about the specific technologies I was using today. The other thing I'd do is I'd get involved in the wider industry, which I've done throughout my career, because that has also served me well. Yes. What career objectives are you focusing on right now? Um, that's a really interesting question. I think, to be honest, the main thing I'm focusing on is doing my current job really well because it's really quite yeah. difficult. <laughs> um, beyond that, who knows? But in Dava, I'm very fortunate. I'm very lucky. It is a genuine privilege to be in Dava CTO and we're a fast-growing organization. So for now, that's quite enough to focus on. Okay. I mean, obviously, you mentioned just now that you're making sure you get involved in the industry as a whole. Are you still doing conference talk and presentations? I do. And things in like fact, that? yes, I did one, did one a couple of weeks ago, which was a more marketing-oriented one towards more towards... A kind of commercial event, but next week I'll be at Jax, and beyond that I'll be at uh, the um, uh, O'Reilly Software Architecture Conference, and so on. So yes, I'm I'm still doing that as much as I can. Uh, and what's the number one non-technical skill that has helped you in your career so far? Um, it's one that I had to develop, which I didn't have at the start. And again, I probably have to thank Kim Lambert. Though I don't remember the, the moment, but I probably have to thank Kim Lambert for it. It's the ability to explain something to a different kinds of audiences verbally without having to write a huge amount down because you're often in that situation particularly as an architect can you share a parting piece of career advice with the it career energizer audience i think a parting piece of advice would be when you're looking at your career and you're working out where you want to go pick the people who you admire and who seem to be doing jobs that uh, are the kind of job that you think you'd want to do and then go and get to know them I've tried to do that through my career and I've never been rejected yet. People, I find people are nearly always friendly to people more junior than them who'd like to learn from them. Yes. And finally, what's the best way we can find out more about you and possibly connect with you? Um, well, I have a website, uh, owenwoods.info, so I'm, I'm quite easy to Google too because my name is quite unusual. There are only yes. two Owen Woods is very, uh, that you find a lot on the internet. One is an Irish folk musician. I'm not him and one is me, and then there are some Gaelic football players as well. So uh, you can Google me easily. Um, I'm, I mean, I, I am on LinkedIn, but uh, my, website's, or, or my website or Twitter, where it's Owen Woods with a Z, are good ways to, to get hold of me. Owen, thank you so much for joining me on the IT Career Energizer podcast today. It's been great chatting with you. You're welcome. Thank you very much for the invitation. It's, it's been a pleasure. Well, I hope you enjoyed this week's great interview with Owen Woods. Full show notes can be found on the website at itcareerenergizer.com slash e28. In next week's episode, I'll be talking with Stuart Noakes, 
an IT consultant and entrepreneur who helps both new and established organisations to innovate and change. If you haven't done so already, please remember to subscribe in iTunes or Stitcher to get future episodes automatically downloaded to your device. And if you're enjoying the podcast, I'd really appreciate you leaving a rating and review in iTunes or Stitcher about the show. So until next Monday, have a great week. Thanks for listening to the IT Career Energizer podcast. To find out more about building a successful career in IT, visit itcareerenergizer.com.